Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. We have Ropa Vieja in the fridge today, and we're speaking with Rick Orlando. He is a chef, he is a writer, he does a million things, and they all have to do with food. More or less. A little music <laughs> and, and, you know, rabble-rouse a little bit, but yeah, He is much. a food extraordinaire and chef. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for He has a great restaurant it. in Albany. Yes, sure. he does. Yeah. New World Bistro. My first question kind of stems off what you were talking about in the Vox Pop episode. Be sure to tune in to our Food Friday episode with Rick Orlando. Uh, the theme of that one was... July, July and January. January. Yeah. So I've heard of Christmas in July. Is this like the opposite? Sort of. I uh, think so, right? This, this was a way of, you know, we're in the darkest time of year. Um, the local food that's left in the market is delicious, but very hearty root vegetables and heavy greens. And I think that your soul can use a spattering of sunshine. And you mm-hmm. can do that through food as well by bringing in some tropical ingredients and tropical recipes and just sparking your sparking your soul a bit. Yeah, and who wouldn't want to be transported to the Caribbean at any time? We, all, we just dish, all right? can't go when we want, right? So my first question has to do with a lot of these foods on this particular episode had these ethnic backgrounds in the Caribbean and Puerto Rico and all mm-hmm. these warm climates. What's your ethnic background and how does that translate into the foods that you create? Very good question. I am um, full-blooded Southern Italian. But my parents were divorced, and my stepfather is Puerto Rican. So mm-hmm. I was exposed to Latin food. And I grew mm-hmm. up in New Haven, which is a pretty good melting pot city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love food from warm places. And my restaurants pretty much based, both restaurants, New World Home Cooking and New World Bistro Bar, are based on South Asia, Mediterranean, Caribbean, Southern American, Mexican, South American food. Not that we don't do other things, but that is what inspires me because I think those flavors are the most explosive and they make me feel like just ready to dance. Yeah, there's a lot food of fusion you make you that happens. Dance, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. As opposed to snore. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you create recipes based on some of the things, like we have a banana salad that's similar to like a potato salad. Mm-hmm. And in, I know in some of those central american cultures they use it as a starch not necessarily as a fruit right so do you do this to sort of in a way give homage to the culture and put your spin on it or do you just eat something and become inspired and say oh gosh i have to use this in this way yes 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 and yes um (laughs) i love everything delicious right but Mm -hmm. i also love the intriguing twists and what i was reading about green bananas one of the ways they were developed as a food is that people didn't have enough to eat They couldn't wait for the bananas to ripen, so they developed techniques to get them digestible and full of nutrients even when they were green. Boiling green bananas. We're not talking plantains. We're talking bananas. Mm -hmm. When you boil them in their skins and cut them up, they have very similar to potatoes. They have a lot of potassium, right, like bananas do anyway. They have the same. Minerals don't change, right, so they have Mm -hmm. the same amount of potassium. And in that dish... It's a Puerto Rican dish traditionally, which is why there's a lot of cilantro in it. But if you left the cilantro out and put a little parsley or dill, it's almost like a a German potato salad because it's basically onions cooked in vinegar with a little bit of garlic. Mm -hmm. And um, Puerto Rican, a little more garlic because they like (laughs) a lot of garlic down there. But um, And it's a really nice side. We're actually doing a, a Peruvian roast chicken on our menu right now 
with the warm green banana salad as the starch instead of just potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. You know what? That's the best, though. When my, even when my mother makes potato salad, I tell her, leave some out for me. Don't mm-hmm. put mine in the fridge because mm-hmm. I don't like it really cold. You don't get all the flavors when it's so cold. Yeah, it depends on how warm your mouth is. <laughs> well, I guess you can kind of activate it. No, maybe but it, I'm pretty warm. I mean, no, I'm a warm I, I agree. person. Although some, you know, if if you're having like a summer barbecue, a nice cool potato salad's good. But I think room temperature or slightly warm is delicious, and it does bring out great flavors. You may think I'm gross, but even in the summer, I have her leave mine out. I don't want it in the fridge. Listen, I uh, <laughs> I'm all for it. You know, me and those little happy bacteria make me happy too. <laughs> I'm pathogen friendly. <laughs> So this Cuban pot roast they have is delicious. Um, what goes into that? Okay, so that's one of my signature dishes. That is basically braised either brisket or chuck, uh, a braising cut of meat with tomatoes and wine and olives. But the difference is it starts out with a sofrito. Sofrito, as we talked on Vox Pop, is traditional Latin American seasoning base that you start cooking with. And... It's onions, garlic, bell peppers, and cilantro um, pureed, looking like a pesto. But when you cook it, it's greater than the sum of its parts. It tastes like sofrito. It doesn't taste. You don't say, "Oh, I taste peppers, onions, cilantro, and garlic." Mm-hmm. You say, "I taste Latin food." It is that flavor. You know, it's sort of like when you make gumbo in New Orleans and you do the onion, celery, and bell peppers. You don't taste onion, celery, bell pepper. You taste gumbo. It's it creates a greater than the sum of its part flavor profile. And uh, it's really delicious. Better when it's hot, but it's really good. <laughs> it is delicious. And it makes a mean sandwich, too. <laughs> How long do you go with these recipes? How many times do you attempt them before you get them to where you like them? That's a really good question. My recipe development process, I'd say about 20% of my recipes are inspired within my own brain from something I've eaten before, and about 80% are from books, more than online. I do research online, but I have a huge cookbook collection. Mm-hmm. And I'll read a recipe, and my practice usually is to, I know that cookbooks are recipe tested, so they're trustworthy sources, but I don't always have the same palate as chefs who write cookbooks. So I'll make their recipe once, verbatim, yeah. taste it, and then go with it. And culinary is a science, but also an art, because there is creativity to it. It is a building block process. It's like, you know, so, I mean, who invented pasta with butter? Right. But then somebody Mm -hmm. says a little black pepper and it's cacio pepe. Then they add a little bit of egg and it's fettuccine Alfredo. I mean, so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the way life goes. It's kind of cool. Have you ever had a flavor in your mind that you've tasted and you want to put in something and you keep having to try to figure out why is this not working? What am I not putting in there? Sort of like. if Yeah, I think more in the earlier days of my cooking, my cerebral pantry is very (laughs) big now because I've been cooking global food for so long that. I can kind of look at ingredients and understand what's going to happen with them. Mm -hmm. But it takes a while. Um, There are still, I'm sure, hundreds of things I've never cooked with. But I've cooked with a lot, you know. (laughs) And, and, you know, having a global menu for 23 years, actually before I owned restaurants, even chefing for 25 or 26 years, I have dabbled with almost everything you can find in every weird market. One of my fetishes when I first started cooking was going into, like, Asian and Caribbean and East African and, and Mediterranean markets and looking for things that I had no idea what they were and taking mm-hmm. them home mm-hmm. and opening them up and saying, what's this? Ooh, <laughs> lime pickle. Mm. Hey, that'll make good tartar sauce. Say, You're a freak. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, that's kind of uh, that's kind of a fun thing to do. It's you know? nice when they all come together. Like when all the flavors come together and it's a happy accident, but it's great and then and, you can use it. And, right. And one of the secrets, I think, to being a successful chef is knowing when it doesn't. 
as I teach my cooks, don't try to sell somebody on a bad dish just because you mm-hmm. think it was going to, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself. Sometimes you got to say, you know what, dud, throw it out, mm-hmm. start again, don't keep adding, I'll add something else, I'll add something else. I'll add... Every once in a while, you just say, you know, that didn't work. That's it's okay. The creative culinary process. Yeah, but it's hard. Kill mm-hmm. your darlings is always hard. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I've had people say, I like this dish. And I'm like, uh, you sure? <laughs> well, you know, you can really feel this nuance. I'm like, are you really sure? Get, getting people to admit failure is one of the greatest attributes in the creative process is to know when you've screwed up. Yeah. And accept it and go forward and put it behind you and don't let it weigh you down. And it's part of a training that I'm kind of like a Socratic chef now. I teach a lot by questioning people and getting them to use their brain. Not everybody responds well to it. <laughs> I can but the imagine. people that do do really well. And they actually a lot of them do really well in their careers afterwards because they've learned to ask the hard questions of themselves, you know? Yeah. So I think that's it's almost more important to fail a few times than it is to succeed all the time. And I failed plenty of times. One thing that reminds me of is you change your menu seasonally in your restaurant, New World Bistro, sort we, of. We have a core of dishes with it. We tried to change at one point, and the put it this way, I tried to change the menu <laughs> in Saugerties after uh, Hurricane Irene, and after about a month and a half, the Woodstock Chamber of Commerce had a, they had a, a focus group come to us and say, you know, there have been people coming to Woodstock for 20 years for that Ropa Vieja and jerk chicken, and now that they're not on the menu, they're saying, I thought there was a place in town that served this dish. Uh-huh. We learn after you've been open a certain period of time, there are certain dishes you can't take off the menu because there's loyalty to them. Our black and string beans, you know, there's about eight dishes, but we do a seasonal box every year, every probably five or six times a year because seasons aren't really accurate to food anymore. Yeah. First day of spring is March 21st. There's no spring vegetables yeah. on March 21st, <laughs> you know, so we rotate through. Um, yeah, we, we always do some seasonal stuff. We do a daily menu every day also of at least three entrees, three apps, a soup, a salad. So that's really the market menu, you know, and this is what we call the classics menu. So there are certain dishes that you can sort of swap in and out that people like, but they're okay if they're not there in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Part of the process at the restaurants is we have that daily menu, we keep them on file. So as February comes up, I'll print out the specials from February 2005, 2010, 2012, and we look, oh, remember that dish? Let's bring that back. I also recipe a lot. I'll write recipes. So I have about 850 in my database. So if someone says, oh, man, that lamb shank thing we did last spring with the, the baby fennel, I think I did that recipe, and I'll look it up you know, and find it. So, And then we can recreate it. One other thing I wonder about is the exotic dishes that you have at the restaurant and where did you find them all uh you tell me what you think is exotic first <laughs> i think it's like bone marrow is one of them oh that's pretty like the most unexotic thing in the world <laughs> well, to that's, me it is <laughs> see bone marrow is a traditional dish part of what's happening in the culinary field is once you've gotten kind of like with music it's music and, and food you know they, they follow similar paths once everything's been done then people start going back and looking for old things to mm-hmm. kind of redo. Sometimes they redo them with a lot of twists, and sometimes they do them really authentically, you know? Mm-hmm. And bone marrow is really old school. I mean, it's totally old school. I went to Montreal, and my daughter went to uh, Concordia in the 2000s, earlier 2000s, and uh, we used to go to Montreal a lot, and we would go to this place called L'Express, which was this classic, really old school, working man's French bistro, and they had bone marrow and kidneys and all those old dishes, we ate them. And we were like, wow, this is like the kind of food I remember reading about when I first started cooking. I had all the old 
no photo cookbooks, mm-hmm. you know, and you read about these dishes. And, of course, now Bourdain has gone there and Andrew Zimmer's gone there, and they're very trendy because chefs are looking for inspiration. Sometimes when you're looking for inspiration, you look backwards as right. opposed to forwards, right? right. Classic for Raphael, Raphael Shadik, he's got that great soul album. It's like it sounds like something that I would have bought when I was in eighth grade. Yeah, and I it just came out like two years ago, and it's just awesome yeah. music, you know? Bruno yeah. Mars, too. Yeah. Bruno Mars just yeah, came totally. out with an album that feels like old school soul funk music and we want to thank the Luke Cage series for that because he brought all that music <laughs> to the forefront which is awesome yeah. music right it's my music yeah. growing up well it's the same with the 80s um, mm-hmm. synthwave stuff that's back a lot yeah. now mm-hmm. which is great it makes I you feel use, old I but also the, uh, but that music is nostalgic. great at the gym let me tell you <laughs> yeah it's got it's place oh yeah Running I could run for hours. <laughs> You're running away from it. But you can run for <laughs> no music, music and food. Um, I use I use them interchangeably when I'm training uh, my cooks. One of the things I try to teach cooks is to understand my flavor profile, so that when you start making specials, I always say to them, you know, when you go to a concert, band is jamming, you're enjoying all your favorite songs, and mm-hmm. then. They say, now we're going to do a song written by the bass player. What do you do? That's when you go pee, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> the bar, so we don't want your food to be that bass player song. We want you to be one of the band. And it's like a band mm-hmm. thing, you know. Uh, immerse yourself in what we do, and then we all do it together. No right? offense to all the bass players listening. Uh, it's never the bass player, right? <laughs> uh, I did have another question that has more to do with ingredients. And mm-hmm. um, Dave kind of touched on it with exotic ingredients. And although these things are not necessarily exotic to some, to others they are. So I have two ingredients. One of them is jackfruit mm-hmm. and one of them is hearts of palm. Okay. And I'm wondering if someone had those at their home and they wanted to make something that would be within this theme of July and January, mm-hmm. how would you prepare those ingredients? Very good. Now, there's two ways to get jackfruit, right? Fresh or canned in syrup. Um, Up here, we're probably going to have canned. Uh, you can get fresh at the Asian markets sometimes, or frozen, like the, the wedges of it frozen. And chunk it up and freeze yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, jackfruit is, it's exotic. It's not great. It's kind of funky a little bit. It's got that kind of yeah. fruit you have to cab driver kind it. of vibe, you know? <laughs> um, got a little funk going. But, you know, I use jackfruit sometimes in cheesecakes or as a topping for creamy mm-hmm. desserts and stuff, or topping for ice cream. You cook mm-hmm. it down with some syrup or some uh, agave or something. As far as hearts of palm go, fresh hearts of palm are a little tricky to deal with. You have to cook them um, and get them tender, but canned hearts of palm are pretty available. Hearts of palm is fabulous with avocados. If you take a canned hearts of palm and drain them, make like a nice avocado salad, not necessarily guacamole, but more of a Caribbean avocado salad with red onions, maybe some oranges, a little vinaigrette, and you put sliced hearts of palm in there. It's mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. Um, I've sliced hearts of palm and thrown them in yellow rice when I'm making rice for texture. They're not that different from artichoke hearts in the flavor a little bit. Do you bit. cook them in with the rice? I will, yeah. 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 Or eat them raw in the salads and stuff, you know. Yeah, really hearts good. of palm came to mind because I'd saw, I saw a recipe where somebody used hearts of palm to make almost like a crab cake. Hearts of palm with cake? hearts of palm and radish, and yeah. they shredded it and created a cake. Huh? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. And well, that sounds exotic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can see hearts of palm because it has kind of a stringy texture, mm-hmm. kind of like crab. As long as you don't cut it too long, it's not too stringy. I'm going to try that. That that you would use fresh, I would think, not canned. Well, I think. I think in the example, I think they might have used canned and they grated it, but yeah. um, I'm sure fresh would be better as far as texture is concerned, like you're saying. For, for something like that. And mm-hmm. fresh is not always readily available, mm-hmm. you know, where you can get anything online, of course. Canned is any good market. You'll mm-hmm. see you can uh, 
Calmitos in the Goya section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we mentioned um, a funny story at the end okay. earlier. Do you have one? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of funny stories. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. You caught me. Um, <laughs> we put people on the spot every single time we sit down together to make an episode. <laughs> well, it's true. It's a tradition. <laughs> you got to have something as your calling card, right? We just like stumping people. Yes. Not even on a trivia show. <laughs> exactly. Shameless plug. We have a trivia yeah, show. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have <laughs> Any a couple questions? that are a little gross, um, <laughs> so I might dodge them. Can we talk about rats? Sure. Sure. So I was working in this restaurant once in New York, and they were renovating the building next door. And in the middle of dinner, over our thatch roof bar, a big rat fell <laughs> oh, God. off the thatch roof. And it was apparently poisoned because it was very slow moving and waddled into the middle of a packed dining room. Oh, people no. were screaming and running for the doors. It was like, you know, really like something really bad was happening. And one of the greatest things about this story was one of my Latin American dishwashers, a guy named Everito, came out in his little checkered pants and his flat sneakers and his white shirt with a towel and kind of swirled the towel like he was bullfighting and went <laughs> and stomped on the rat's head oh my God. and picked it up by the tail in a puddle of blood and yelled to the dining room, no problem, people, in muerte, in muerte, <laughs> and went back into the kitchen. Oh, God, with the rat? <laughs> to the garbage. Oh, God. Yeah, no problem, we got it. Did the rat pick don't up put the that, chips don't put, on the bar before it died? <laughs> don't put that on the <laughs> Don't use that story. I don't know. Um, no, that's a good one. No, um, uh, I remember uh, in summers in New York and walking, you know, after going out at night, and rats will just chill on the street yeah. like they, they live there, you know? Well, part of the illustration <laughs> of that story is when you come from another part of the world— Rats are rats. They're not something that we are so squeamish about, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, no problem, folks. It's dead. I killed it. Like, it's not going to bite you. Yeah. yeah. And and the screeching and <laughs> climbing the walls to get out of the restaurant, <laughs> that was the biggest comp check I ever did in my life. Well, thanks for coming on, Rick. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Chef Rick Orlando of New World Home Cooking and New World Bistro Bar. Find more about Rick at ricorlando.com. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.